Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Marina, New Zealand, good morning to you all. It's a Wednesday morning, a little bit cold around the country, but uh, we will press on here and uh, try and keep you entertained for the next three hours by talking about uh, the following subjects. Uh, cricket, women's cricket in particular in this country, and a bigger piece of the income pie. It's uh, good news for our lady cricketers, there's no doubt about that. Uh, we'll have a talk back just after 9.30 this morning. The Chemist Warehouse voucher is up for grabs for 50 bucks. Uh, any subject that you like to come in on, uh, All Black Changes is a big one. What would you like to see happen? Would you twist or would you stick in terms of uh, trying to find things out in the Irish series, wrap the series up and then move on, or what do you think? Uh, so there's that. There's uh, the possibility that Reese Walsh is going to go. Is this not the same guy? that said to us, uh, looking forward to staying with the Warriors. I'm staying. I can't wait to get to New Zealand and play in front of their fans. Hasn't yet because he had uh, COVID last week, but of course uh, he will perhaps play two or three games and then it sounds like he's gone. Uh, Just after 10 o'clock, we're going to have an earlier panel today with Andrew Gordy and Hamish Bidwell because uh, after 10.30, we want to speak to Mick Karayanis. And Mick Karayanis is from the Daily Telegraph on the reports about what's uh, happening with the Warriors, Reese Walsh, uh, players coming and going. Uh, and the likelihood of Andrew Webster closing in on the new Warriors head coach position. Mm, interesting, isn't it? Uh, Marcus Wheelhouse, just after 11 o'clock. Uh, Marcus, of course, is a professional golf coach, and uh, in his stable is one Ryan Fox, who's going pretty damn well. So they've got their together, haven't they, their combination. Uh, of course, the Open Championship not far away, and Liv. Liv is in the background all the time these days, and it's getting uglier by the day as well. Stump Smithy around about 11.30. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. History in cricket in the last 24 hours, not just Johnny Bairstow and Joe Root, two Yorkshire buddies propelling England to victory over India with their largest successful run chase ever, and that was in Chapter 4 of Basball, but more importantly, it seems for women's cricket in this country, the pie is soon to be divided up much more in their favour. Where has this stemmed from? What has prompted it? We will get those answers shortly, but there's no doubt from the Minister of Sport downward there has been a gentle urging, to say the least, to better the resources the women's side of the game have at their disposal. It was no secret at the recent World Cup that the cream rose to the top at playoff time because the cream were getting a better shake in Australia and England. New Zealand cricket and its relative bodies have to be applauded because these are not small changes. These are indeed financially significant, And I like the match fee model. The more you play, the more you get. Makes sense, doesn't it? The more you go to work, the better you get rewarded. Will it achieve the desired effect at the top end? Yes, players will be encouraged to stay longer to cash in on those latter years. Domestically, there's a reason to stay in the game now, even if the international level appears a step too far. 
Hey, it's not going to buy you a beach house anytime soon, but it should ensure it doesn't cost you to play at those higher levels. Is it sustainable? Time will tell. It's a five-year experiment, but now with the way of life we have in sport, it's heading. It's uh, the way heading in that direction. It's unlikely to ever change for the worse for the ladies. A penny for the thoughts of Amy Satterthwaite now, a former standout and stalwart, recently retired. At least some of the new cream will go into the household coffers now that Leah Tahuhu is back in favour. But for Amy now, there might be second thoughts. I, I certainly hope so. She's too good. And a penny also for some other codes and their boards and CEOs. All those thoughts, because we all know it's just the start of redressing the balance. Nine oh seven here on SENZ on this Wednesday morning, and our first guest this morning is one Heath Mills. Of course, he's the CEO of the Cricket Players Association of New Zealand, which covers men's and women's cricket across the board and looks after their interests. Heath, uh, good morning to you. I guess congratulations are in order because uh, you've done a good job here at the negotiating table, and a lot of people are going to get some benefits. Yeah, good morning, Smithy. Thank you, mate. We're really delighted with where we've got to. As you know, these. These processes are long processes. I think we started our preparation about 18 months ago um, and been around the table for the past eight months. So, so to get to where we are now is you know, re- really delighted. And, and to bring our all our playing cohorts, male and female players, under the one agreement is a, is a, is a big step forward for us as an organisation. So we're delighted with the outcome. Heath, why now? Uh, has has it been sparked uh, in some way by the recent World Cup and uh, the fact that um, comments were made that we are under-resourced perhaps or our, our women are under-resourced and, and perhaps not as helped us to the same level uh, maybe as Australia or England? Well, I think the, the, the woman's story is only part of it. Uh, obviously, it's a, it's a headline, um, you know, the, the jumps we've made there. But... Uh, both our men's agreement and our women's agreement expires on 31st of July this year. So we had to renegotiate both. So we, we went into this process proposing that we, we uh, combine the two agreements together, which we've managed to achieve. And, and just firstly, Smithy, I think it's important to note that um, you know, New Zealand cricket uh, forecasted revenue for the next five years has, has certainly gone up quite a lot. Uh, their commercial team has done a great job. Um, and we've been able to secure increase our revenue share from 26.5% to 29.75%. So, so we're delighted with that. Effectively, there's, there's more funds um, in our partnership agreement to go around. And, and both our, our men and our female players have got significant increases as a result of this new deal. But you're quite right. The, uh, the women's aspect what uh, was a big focus for us. And we used a, a gender pay equity expert, Yolanda Beattie, from Melbourne, who's done a lot of work in sport over there, to help guide us with a set of principles that, that both parties were able to follow during the negotiation and, and shape our player payment pool. So you know, we have, have had to write the historical underinvestment um, and make sure that our, our female players were actually paid for what they did in terms of training and playing and, and time away. And also uh, now the commercial revenue they are starting to bring into the support. So we feel we've got the balance right. Um, but the, the other aspect to it for us was well, they need to play more. And I, and I think we, we all recognise that there's, there's a lot of room for improvement with our performances. Um, and one of the, 
in, in various uh, workshops we have with players, one of the one of the key messages we received as an organisation was it's quite a big jump from domestic cricket to international cricket, and we need to ensure there was some form of playing program between the two. So we're, we're delighted to have a North and South series now in place, an annual series, three-match series, but also uh, New Zealand cricket are going to work to organise an A program for our female players. And I, and I think from a development perspective, you, you, you can't grow, improve your game, and, and you would know this intuitively mm-hmm. unless you're playing. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm really pleased with that aspect to the deal as well. Uh, Heath, for those people uh, listening in who are uh, finding out these uh, percentages and details for the first time, can you uh, briefly explain uh, 29.75% of the revenue? Uh, what revenue? What, what does that effectively mean? So before New Zealand Cricket can sell any products, products essentially broadcast or commercial sponsorship products, they need the player intellectual property and obviously the players working on the field. So What's common practice now around the professional sporting world is that the two go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. Both need each other. So we agree a revenue share um, with New Zealand Cricket, which, as I said, is now 29.75% of every commercial dollar they bring into the sport. And it effectively binds the players and New Zealand Cricket at the hips. So the player group collectively is, is motivated to help New Zealand Cricket grow that revenue, knowing that they're going to get a return from it. Um, effectively form a partnership through our collective agreement and we, we believe that's the best way to to make sure um, there's transparency around the numbers. All the players know how the revenue's generated, they know how it's all distributed uh, and it's very open and transparent between the parties. So that's the model we've we've worked to for a while and I think New Zealand Cricket uh, now, the numbers, they're, they're forecasting to bring in $349 million over the next four, uh, five year period uh, which is on mm. average about a $15 million increase uh, on revenues they've brought in in the last four years. So the, the growth of the, the game is growing. There's, there's no doubt about that commercially, and, and it's on the back of the explosion and, and, and growth in the economy in India, primarily, and Indians loving their cricket, as you know. Um, but the, the game is certainly growing. And I think the other aspect is the, the women's game. is The men's game is a mature product, but the women's game has got real upside if we continue to invest in it. And, and the interest we've seen in, re, in recent years in, in that, um, that aspect of our sport, I think the Women's World Cup here in New Zealand had the highest number of viewers um, that it's ever had so uh, around the world. So you know, we, 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 we have real um, excitement about the growth opportunities there. So the, the, the income, the style of income you're talking about, one, television rights, uh, what, gate takings, team sponsorships, etc. cetera, is, is that what we're talking here? Yes, yes, uh, commercial sponsorships, um, digital revenue, uh, broadcasting on all the various platforms around the world, the whole gamut. Okay, let's uh, look at uh, where that places us now, you feel, uh, looking at overseas models, etc., I guess it's all about this this uh, percentage of of income because I suppose if you look at Australia's model, their players get more because they derive more income. Is that is that basically how it works? Yeah, that's that's a really good point, um, Smithy. I get asked a lot of, a lot about this. People compare uh, payments here in, in the female or male game to Australia and, and look at the difference and, and think we're not doing our job well enough. Um, Cricket's built around the international game and, and the country, the various countries own the revenue that's generated in, in their country. And of course, we're a very small market in, in, in the worst broadcast time zone in world sport. 
um, when we're playing here, everyone else is asleep around the world. So um, it's a challenge for us. Uh, so if you were to compare us to Australia, I think Australian cricket will turn over $500 million uh, this year in, in Australian dollars in terms of their revenue, whereas New Zealand cricket will be $70 million. So for us, uh, the, the comparison is the percentage. So, um, you know, uh, uh, the players in Australia, I think, get 29.5% of total revenue. We're just a little shade above that at the moment. Um, but that's, that's, those are the numbers that, that we work to to make sure it's fair. Uh, obviously, you know, we, we recognise New Zealand cricket and the major associations need money to fund the, the, the high performance programmes and the community level of the support. So, so, so we, we feel the number we, we've landed on is about right. Okay, so can we just go back to um, perhaps the contract system as such? And, uh, of course, uh, there's always um, murmurings and, and uh, talk about contracts when the names on the list come out, who's in, who's out, who's new, who's gone. Um, has, the, has the Players Association got any stake in that at all? Do you sit at the table when it, when it comes to those sorts of choices? No, we don't, we don't sit at the table um, because we can't you know obviously be interfering in that process because we represent all the players um so we don't sit at that table however what we do do is once the um the contract lists are determined uh, they are sent to us and we ask for explanations for any changes on those lists so if the players moved mm. up or moved up dramatically or moved down or or moved off the list we ask for a detailed explanation as to why that's happened, so then we can we can help communicate that uh, to the player. It would be completely inappropriate for us to, to get involved in that process. Uh, and look, uh, it's it's a niggly time of the year for everyone. You know, when a player drops off the contract list, it's you know it's like losing your job. So it's 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 um, mm. it's, uh, it's a tough time. Um, the most and, it, and it's subjective. You know, if I was to get five former greats of the game um, you included Smithy you know, in, in the room and they come up with your list of 20 players I'm sure you'll all differ right? it's, it's a subjective process and there's always going to be an element of mm. people not agreeing with it um, from our point of view our role is to ensure that the process has been followed that only cricketing aspects have been taken into consideration not, not commercial aspects or other stuff players may, may bring to the table you know, to get away from anyone been a favourite essentially. So only cricketing considerations are, are, are brought into play and uh, that process is followed and then that there's good communication with the players at all times. For the for the women's side of things, uh, Heath, and, and you're right, they were the headline yesterday, there's no doubt about it, and uh, deservedly so. Uh, what does it mean, without mentioning names, um, but amounts were mentioned yesterday, what does, it, what does it actually mean to the top end player, the top two to three players in terms of their income with this adjustment that that you've just come up with, you know, well, firstly, the, uh, the the players are delighted. Smithy, they're, they're delighted to be included in the one agreement with the men and to be operating under the same terms and conditions. That's actually really important tonight. Um, but they're also delighted with where we've got to and in, in the in the pay equity principles we work to. They feel valued. Um, I, I just everyone feels really good about where we've got it to. In terms of um, the numbers, uh, the leading player in New Zealand, if they played all the matches available, would now earn about $160,000 a year from cricketers here in New Zealand. But of course, mm. we also negotiate their ability to to play in other competitions. Um, and the, the women are going to be able to play in the women's Big Bash League and also the, the new, or the IPL. And we, we understand there's going to be a, a new women's IPL launch next year. 
So I, I suspect that uh, Wanga leading sort of seven or eight players are playing in those competitions. Their earnings will, will, will go north of $250,000 a year. So, you know, that I think that's significant for our sport. I, I, I think that's, I, I hope that that's a real attraction for young women to now look at cricket as a career option. Obviously, we don't want to take away from our colleagues in other sports and we want kids to play any sport sport that they choose. The more playing sport, the better. But hopefully now cricket can become a genuine consideration for young athletes uh, to aspire to be a white fern and represent our country on the world stage. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in terms of uh, where it compares, maybe, I, I, I guess you look at other models of uh, New Zealand sport, particularly team sports. Um, where does that compare now? Where does it place uh, women's cricket in, in comparison to some of those other codes? Look, I'm not 100% sure of where the numbers are with one or two of the codes, but it would be near the top now, if, if not at the top, in terms of the, the ability to earn. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure, Smithy, but uh, I, I, yeah, there wouldn't be too many more, apart from our individual stars like Lydia Co. Obviously, but in terms of the team sports, I'm not sure if many would be would be near that figure. No, exactly. And, and as you say, um, one of the other aspects of it is uh, the increase in the number of contracts from 54 to 72. Effectively, if uh, you do the maths there, um, uh, that's about uh, 18 players, which is uh, coming up towards two teams. So a lot more opportunities there to, to bolster squads. Yeah, it is. I, I, the, the domestic contract was a real focus for us. Um, we needed more players uh, being paid for what they give to the support at that level. And, and we've got that now, I think 12 in each team who will be working with the six domestic teams in, in terms of improving their game and getting better. I think that will help us a lot. Um, but the, but the, the, the important part of the domestic contract is we didn't want to be pay, playing a young female, paying a young female, twenty thousand dollars a year, and asking them to commit full time to cricket for four or five months, and then them not being able to work. So we've we've positioned it as effectively secondary employment, uh, where they're paid to play, but they're also paid to train uh, six weeks prior to the start of the first match for eight hours a week, but before nine or after five so that they can still continue to work full-time. It would be a travesty for us uh, if we forced them to give up work uh, for the money that we have on the table because it would just create a whole host of wellbeing issues, and I think we've seen those in some other environments in recent years, which we just didn't want to go near, and the players were really supportive of that as well. So I guess we're, this next five-year period, we're, we're still in this transition, and we're still on, on, on a positive pathway, obviously, and, and hopefully in the future... There will, there will be the amount of cricket being played where they will become full-time, but we wanted to get the balance right to make sure they're well rewarded for what they do in cricket, but we also protect their well-being. And in terms of protection, you mentioned uh, the uh, the five-year uh, part of this deal, which is it's cool looking forward, which tends to suggest that um, moves are afoot and, and you're pretty close to settling uh, future tours programmes and future match programmes on both sides of the ledger, or, or have the women still got quite a lot of work to do to find those windows uh, around the world uh, globally, Heath? Yeah, no, you're, you're right. There's been a, quite a lot of work been done on that in the last five or six months, and, and New Zealand cricket would need to talk to that, but they're, they're very close. I think there's going to be some announcements shortly, uh, which would be good. But obviously, as you know, our game hinges on the future to this programme and, and the various boards being able to negotiate that and we, 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 we typically do four-year deals uh, and, and I kind of feel that's about right but as we looked at the 
potential playing program over the next ten year period, uh, with the various tours falling where they did, uh, we we felt that five years was the most sustainable model to to put in place at this point in time. And then I, I suspect we will head back to a four year model following that. So it, that's another factor we need to consider, and, and probably was the main driver of why we put in place a five year deal this time. Is, uh, I've just got a text in actually to say do coaches get the alignment as well it might have come from a coach I, I'm not quite sure but uh, do you have anything to do with that side of things uh, no, no we don't, uh, we don't. They, they negotiate their deals in, individually and I, I've always encouraged them to organise themselves into a collective that doesn't seem to happen it would, would be a conflict for us to get involved there we obviously do have our past player membership um, we're, we're a good number of past players and members of our organisation now and, and a number of them are coaches so, so they do come to us from time to time for support in, in their various discussions with major associations in New Zealand cricket um, we try to help where we can but it wouldn't be right for us to, to be representing them around the table um, no Okay, uh, great news uh, Heath, uh, we'll leave it at that it's a terrific announcement um, for both sides, actually, the more you the more you study it, of course, the more uh, you realise the impact for uh, the males as well as the females. So, good job uh, on behalf of the players. I would imagine they're absolutely thrilled with uh, with this outcome. So, good luck going forward, and let's uh, hope we reap the benefit of that on the field of play. And uh, after all, that's the most important thing. Thanks for your time, Heath. Thank you. Thanks very much, Smithy. Cheers. Uh, Heath Mills, uh, of course, who is the CEO of the Cricket Players Association of New Zealand. Um, I would imagine they raised a glass or two yesterday because a lot of hard work goes into those kind of negotiations and processes. It's 9.24 here on SCNZ. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. 0800 150 is uh, 811 is our number 0800 150 811 and we'll uh, ask you to call that uh, in about uh, two or three minutes time with your views on uh, any number of issues to be fair what about uh, the All Blacks this weekend uh, what about uh, any changes you would make would you keep it the same what do you feel about Reese Walsh now the rumour is uh, he's on the way Warriors fans how, how do you think about that it was back uh, I think in April um, that uh, Craig Hodges, the uh, Warriors General Manager of Football, said he will be staying and he will be playing when it comes to New Zealand. Well, it appears that that, that is not the case. So uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts uh, on that as well as uh, what about this cricket deal uh, across the board? Um, what, what, how do you feel about that? So uh, that's uh, interesting. Uh, a lot more w- uh, money for women uh, on a... On a pay-per-play basis, really, I mean, uh, the figures are, uh, are quite good. Uh, $4,000 for a one-day international, much of an increase, I would imagine, on what they were getting before. I'm not quite sure of it. Uh, $10,000 a test match for the men. Uh, women, of course, do not play test matches, so they don't get their benefit. Well, they don't in this country anyway. They might push to now at that pay rate, um, but uh, they certainly don't. There's test matches going on in women's cricket around the world. New Zealand not involved in that point. So uh, we'll ask for your opinions on all those matters uh, in about two or three minutes' time. But in the meantime, is Araha with the, the 9.30 update. Talkback time with Smithy. Brought to you by Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. Call now for a chance to win today's $50 Chemist Warehouse voucher. 0800 150 811. Yep, you heard it, 0800-150-811. We welcome your calls right now. We always welcome one from uh, Dean from Dunedin where he's getting pretty excited because we're only, what, two sleeps away Wednesday, three sleeps away until uh, the big Irish uh, all-black test match. 
Um, but plenty of things to do in the build-up, I would imagine, Dino. And uh, D- uh, Dunedin will be starting to sense uh, the occasion, won't they? Well, to be honest, mate, we're more worried about that kid children's drink, the traffic light system. If that flips to red, I'll be suicidal. God almighty. What are we talking about? <laughs> but, um, I can't see that happening. Oh, God, I hope not. But I remember last year we were driving around Dunedin with a bus with a South African game all over the back of it. And that just, that dumb my head in. That went to Australia. So you just don't know. You don't know. But for me, mate, I want to talk about Scott Barrett. Now, I think... I'm really interested in this team selection as to who they put at six. Now, I don't know why we can't find a lock and leave the lad there because clearly we've had some huge issues at scrum time in recent times. Now, maybe that's because we've had a whole lot of sixes that don't push. Clearly, he's a grunt machine and pushes. And if you listen to Breakdown, which I only watched on the phone last night, that Irish fella, man, he's a breath of fresh air. Like, I mean, he... Give him a job at Sky TV as well. Like, he's so good to listen to, but I don't understand. Like, losing three locks isn't ideal. See, it's no one's fault, but I don't really want to see Scott Barrett go to six. I mean, to four. I'd like to leave him there and find a lock somewhere, but that, Patrick's not the answer. We Didn't they learn that with Brody when he came back from Japan? This is what does my head in with him. It took him a season of MPC to come good again. So... Are we that short of locks that we can't put someone straight out of, you know? I don't know. The selections are interesting. Do we put Sam Kane at six? Because he will push, so Dalton can play seven. I suppose I'd be happy with that. But I just mm. think if Akira starts and we go backwards, that should be the end of him. Because I think he's got, a, he's got amazing ability. But I don't think he's got a lot of ticker. The Blues yeah, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, yeah, he, he does. You, well, you you nicknamed him the tap, didn't you? Yeah, because he's he's hot and he's cold, and um, we can't afford you can't afford to have a, a hot or cold um, a tap playing at number six. So uh, I quite um, quite quite well named actually in terms of uh, some of his history in the past. I, I thought he might have been might have been over that, and then I saw the uh, Super Rugby final, of course. It wasn't the final though, Smith. It was all three. The Highlanders destroyed them up front. The Brumbies gave them a run for their money, and the the, the, the the Crusaders were just next planet. They were miles away. Like they might have had a, a really good season. The Blues. There's too many of them in the in the All Blacks. That's my honest opinion. Like I'm just pleased Foxy's gone. Like I can't understand how they get that many in there when they get so destroyed. And that's as close to international rugby as you're going to get. That's quarterfinal World Cup material, and they just weren't there. Now, there's only the excuse. It's not the coaching. It comes down to players. They've had a whole season, the best season they've had in 10, 30 years, or whatever it is, and they turn up a performance like that. That worries me. Mm. Okay, Dino, thank you very much for that. I'm no doubt uh, being Wednesday. We'll hear from you again before the weekend when that all-black side is named, and we'll look forward to your views on that. Uh, that'll be uh, tomorrow around about 11.30, if they're consistent with uh, last week. Uh, Joey, good morning to you. Joey from Auckland. Yeah, g'day, Smithy. A uh, couple of things. Just um, with the Reese Walsh uh, situation, I thought the writing was on the wall when he got drafted into the, uh, the Queensland side because um, they would have got in his head over there for sure. And I'm, I'm sure even probably Wayne Bennett might have come down and spoke to him. And um, when you look at it, look at it you, in one sense, I know he signed a, a contract, but you can't blame him. He, he's looking at, at 
probably trying to win win a premiership. And at the moment, the Warriors aren't aren't there, and it's going to take them a while to get there. Um, the other thing too, the administration with the Warriors. You know, if you're playing for them, to me, I look at it. The administration's not right either. I mean, you look at Brisbane since um, Benny Eichens come in. Um, he he got rid of the ones that were, were to me were causing a lot of problems. And and now look at Brisbane. They're they're just going upwards and upwards. And and you've got to get that administration right. Wayne Bennett said it years ago, and then he had a problem with Michael White. And Brisbane got into all sorts of problems because they had problems. But Wayne Bennett always said that it starts from the very top, from the CEO all the way way down. He said, and then all I have to do as a as a coach is coach the side. And I think that the, that the administration with uh, the Warriors is out of out of kilter in the sense that I think it's too many too many buddy buddy buddies to me. Um, not not on the coaching side, but further up. Um, I think the the uh, owner has too much to say. And um, and everyone sort of seems to know that, but uh, they don't really obviously say that. Especially just about the other thing with the with the cricket. Um, mm. You know, I look at it. Keith Keith um, Heath has been been really great with a woman in that. But what about the debacle with uh, Amy Safeway? I mean, mm. you know, he, yeah. here's here's a player that can't that that would. I mean, if you and I were were, were, were sitting down top twenty players. She'd be one of the first you'd put it, and yet, and she she's now retired. And now, what are they doing now? They're looking for another batsman because one of our our players, Emily Kerr, um, is, is unavailable. And and also, too, the one of the one of the administration there was in the New Zealand um, New Zealand um, administration for the um, World Cup. He was in the management and everything, Carter, and yet he gets shifted across to another job. And we had probably our worst World Cup we've ever had with a woman, and yet he's still there. I, I, that, to me, that's just crazy. Yeah, a couple of good uh, points that you bring up there, Joey. To be fair, um, um, on the the Reese Walsh one, uh, can you blame the kid um, for wanting to to play and change his mind? I mean, people are entitled to change their mind. Uh, the other thing that's uh, of little concern of a little concern to me now, he's the three uh, third uh, high profile player who. Once uh, the Warriors uh, was found out that the Warriors were going to spend more time at home or, um, or they actually did get home, he's now the third on the back of Matt Lodge, Nathan Brown and now Reese Walsh have intimated they don't want to be here all of a sudden. Is this a dangerous trend here? You know, we spoke to Wade Egan yesterday. He didn't sound like he had any signs of that, Joey, um, coming in. So that, that's an interesting one for me. Uh, the Amy Satterthwaite thing uh, is mind-boggling um, and... I hope someone is uh, in her ear saying, "Look, uh, review this situation. You're too good, um, and it's too it's too early for you to turn your back." And that now that there's uh, a bit more incentive to play, will you please reconsider? I hope someone has done that. I would be imagining that Ben Sawyer, the coach, is already on to that. Um, so, okay, let's move across to Craig from uh, Tauranga. Craig, good morning to you. Good morning, Smithy. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Really good, mate. Yourself. <coughs> Good. Yeah, yeah, not too bad. So um, I just want to go back to your sermon from yesterday. I sent you a text afterwards. I didn't. I, you possibly yep. did read it out. I didn't. Didn't hear it on air. But but I, I just um, I just echo your sentiments really. Now, now um, your sermon yesterday was about the the leadership within the All Blacks, with, with uh, particularly the coach and Ian Foster and and the captain Sam Kane and and the uh, criticism that they seem to cop. Now neither Foster nor Sam Kane would would be my 
first choice and, and everyone has an opinion. Um, but I do get frustrated with the amount of criticism they seem to cop um, in, in the media and, and social media. And, and um, after a performance like they had on the weekend, I just think we all need to get in behind them and support them. And I'm an All Black supporter, and, and I accept who's in charge, even if I don't totally agree with the appointments. But but it is what it is. So. I find it really frustrating when people, All Black supporters, are almost willing the All Blacks to to either have a loss or have a bad um, tournament, you know, whether it's a World Cup or, or whatever, uh, in the hope that maybe that'll change the coach or the captain. I just find that so childish. Uh, and as All Black supporters, I just think we need to get behind the team and, and behind Foster. He is the, the man in charge at the moment. Sam Kane is the captain at the moment. And, and I just hope that the, the All Black supporters and the, and the rugby public in general just get behind the team and, and support them and let's take it to the world. You know, like seriously, it's just so childish, that, that attitude. Craig, how long has it been, uh, if you, you cast your mind back to uh, the days of John Hart and Chris Wiley, um, you know, and ongoing from there, John Mitchell, Robbie Deans, Wayne Smith, uh, all the way through uh, to our level of coaches, Graham Henry and then uh, Steve Hanson. Steve Hanson, of course, to Graham Henry. Uh, and now, uh, of course, uh, we've got Ian Foster. Uh, look, have all those coaches I've just mentioned at one time or another um, been criticised, have been not wanted? Uh, I mean, this is a pattern, isn't it? Well, it just seems to be a pattern, doesn't it? It really does. And and I know that maybe there's a bit of um, provincial pro, um, pride or, or something. And, and you know, because Graham Henry was a was a Blues um, coach, you know, maybe maybe people down south didn't didn't like him for that reason, or, or John Hart copped criticism one way or the other. And um, yeah, I, I don't know what it is. And, and certainly, people have their favourites, but but sort of almost willing the, the All Blacks to go poorly because you don't like the coach. I mean, that's just ridiculous. And you're right. I mean, you've probably listed every coach back to to sort of the, the early 90s uh, there, and I'm sure each of them have at some stage cop criticism and, and things. But, um, you know, but come on, you know, like surely we're, we're a bit more grown up uh, and, and a bit more intelligent than, than that attitude you see in the media. It's just such a frustrating... A frustrating attitude. That's that's my point anyway. That, uh, that's right. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah. Yep. I was just going to say, Craig. Um, one of the things that um, has uh, accentuated that is social media, right? Um, and talkback radio. We, we didn't used to back in the the early days have access to that. So if we had an opinion like that, our mate at the pub would hear it, or maybe you know frustrated people in our family, etc., would hear it, or your mates would hear it, but the public wouldn't hear it as such. It wasn't a a really uh, strong hold there in that respect. I'll go back to, uh, I, I, pre- I think I'll go back as far as Sir Brian Lahore to say he would be as close to as anyone to be unanimous in terms of this support as an all-black coach. It's 1987, Craig. Thanks so much for your call. John, uh, welcome to you to the show this morning. Hey, I think the perception with Foster, with a lot of New Zealanders, is that he never was good enough to be the all-black coach because um, a mm. lot of his credentials prior to being the coach were probably not on par with previous All Black coaches. Um, but I think we all support him. Um, that's, that's, that's a gimme, mate, if you're a Kiwi. I think uh, the mere fact that Sam Kane is the captain, we support him, but he's not the best player in the team. Usually the best player in the team is the captain, and through my eyes, that's Adi Savia. 
Um, and that performance on the week weekend has just entrenched that in my mind that Adi Savia should be the captain of the All Blacks. Needless to say, yeah. I still support Sam Kane and think that you know his standing in the All Blacks is is, is paramount at the moment. Um, but if he can hold on to his position to the World Cup, I'll be um, very surprised. Um, but then Foster's there and he has confidence in in um, his cattle, so. We just support them anyway. Um, but actually, I came on here to talk a bit about a bit of cricket, mate, the sport that we mm. love. Um, just looking at that test this morning between India and, and England, I actually felt a bit better because um, New Zealand seemed to handle the English a little bit better. Um, I don't know if you saw uh, Root, another century, another century, mate, and he's just on fire. Brendan McCullum. You know, that's four test wins in a row. I know it's at home, but, man, they are looking good. They are looking better than good, John. Uh, those run chases. You know, chasing runs used to be one of the hardest things to do in the fourth innings of a test match. To think that you can do it twice in a row, pretty tough. Pretty tough ask to, uh, to, uh, to get the high 200s, the early 300s, batting last on any surface with the pressure and all sorts of things, the pitch wearing, etc., Hey, look, to do it three times in a row uh, against us, that was an, an unhealthy pattern from our point of view, but still a remarkable achievement. This latest one is the highest run chase in the history of English cricket. That is, I mean, they play a lot of cricket. They have played a hell of a lot of cricket, John. So uh, I'll be perfectly honest with you, mate. That is a massive, massive run chase. Thanks, mates. Uh, enjoy your calls every morning. Uh, thanks very much for that. Uh, it's 9.47 here on SCNZ. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Top story, Reese Walsh is set to join the Broncos, according to reports from the Daily Telegraph's Michael Carianis. It comes after the news earlier tonight that Canberra's Charles Nickel Klukster will leave the Raiders to join the Warriors. This is big news. Well, it's uh, interesting big news because uh, you've just had it confirmed. Is that right, Logan, that uh, the Warriors ha- have announced uh, some sort of deal with him? Yeah, absolutely. Literally, this has just come through uh, to our desk during the ad break, Smithy. Uh, Warriors CEO Cameron George today has announced that Canberra Raiders fullback Charles Nickel Clarkstad is returning to the club from next season. The 26-year-old has signed a three-year contract to bring him back to his original NRL club after spending four seasons with the Raiders. Okay, all right. We'll talk about the the merits of that uh, with... Um, our correspondent from uh, Australia uh, who leaked the story, uh, Michael Karianis, uh, who leaked the story uh, about uh, Reese Walsh heading back uh, towards Brisbane in some capacity, whether it be with the Dolphins, whether it be with the Broncos. He might have some more information on that. Uh, we're going to multi before 10 o'clock and then we'll get um, Michael on the blower. Voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold up. Know when to fold up. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Right, uh, yesterday uh, the Chicago White Sox uh, were beaten by the Twins, so that didn't help. Cameron Norrie did get up and went over Goffin, and uh, Ernst Berg did get up and beat uh, Buscova as well. So that was just the baseball that let us down today. Uh, we'll avoid the baseball and go to tennis and a little bit of cricket. So Christian Garin, I believe, is going to end the golden run of Nick Kyrgios tonight at $4.20. 
He knocked over Alex de Minor, of course, the other Australian who was left in it, and he's got him, so he's going to get Kyrgios tonight, I believe. $4.20 there. Simona Halep, who was the 14th seed, is now one of the favourites. They've been falling over left, right and centre the seeds. Uh, she'll beat uh, Amanda uh, Anissimova tonight, by uh, I think, uh, in straight sets, but we'll just take it head-to-head at $1.42. Uh, and in the T20 uh, blast in England, this is uh, the T20 cricket blast, Surrey to beat Yorkshire. Surrey to beat Yorkshire. Surrey at home against uh, the White Roses at $1.71. A return there of $10.20 on the back of the value for the Christian Garin to win over Nick Carrius. So Garin into Halep into Surrey. Uh, we've got a panel straight after 10 o'clock. So Andrew Gordy and Hamish Bidwell will be with us and then uh, Rugby League later in the hour as well. Plenty to come here on SENZ. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. It is Wednesday, which means Andrew Gordy is with us. He seems to be a Wednesday regular, and he's joined today by a very experienced journalist in Hamish Bidwell. And Hamish, I'd like to start with some cricket this morning, if I can. And wow, getting getting run chases seems to be quite easy these days. And every time you set a target for England, you need to add more on. They're doing it with ease. This is a staggering run of form in the fourth innings, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's remarkable, but it, it takes me back, I think we've seen this before, it takes me back to 2014 and that sort of unusual test match New Zealand played in the UAE in the wake of Philip Hughes' death and the way Brendan McCullum, as captain of New Zealand, took fear out of the equation, um, the way he gave the guys a licence to just play with freedom and carried that through into that remarkable 2015 World Cup campaign. I think we've seen the blueprint. Um, he's now uh, implemented that upon England and... They're playing with a level of freedom and a level of positivity that um, I didn't think they were capable of, partly because in England it's a huge game, it's well-followed, big media presence, and so they've, they've tended to talk themselves to death, they've tended to analyse things too deeply, tended to make things more complicated, tended to clutter minds, and under McCullum, the minds are clear. The, 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 the game plan's obvious and they're really enjoying it and they're doing well. Staggeringly so. I mean, uh, Gords, this is... Uh I know it's a feather on the cap for, for Brendan. He's uh, staying out of the limelight. He's not doing much media, etc. And he's saying, listen, all, all I'm saying to the, these guys is, uh, you, know, you can do it. You're good enough to do it. Now just get out and, and, and prove it to yourselves rather than anyone else. It is, it's amazing to think the bar keeps going up and they keep clearing it. Yeah, morning, Smithy. Uh, morning, Hamish. Morning to the listeners. Um, and I just wonder, Smithy, whether particularly with the sport of cricket, whether that really is kind of 90% of coaching these days. It's almost more of a mental skills uh, role than it is a, a technical job, if, if, if that makes sense. You really are a motivator and, and, a, and a leader of men, I suppose, or, or women as the, in, in whatever case it may be, um, because these players know what they're doing and they, they get enough video analysis and they spend enough time in the nets. They, they're in control of their own their own game, I suppose. It's really a, a tactical and and mental um, job being being a coach of a cricket team these days. And Brendan absolutely has all the credentials to to do that to to the highest level. Um, I, I really think the interesting thing for me here is, and only we'll only know with the fullness of time. 
Um, but if England can sustain this, that, that's going to be the interesting part. They're, they're clearly getting the new coach bounce at the moment, um, and they've knocked off you know New Zealand with relative ease, um, and then pulled off a, a fantastic victory over India as well. Now, we all know uh, that the, the acid test is going to come when the ashes come around. Now, can you just imagine if, if England managed to knock off Australia, we're going to be talking about Sir Brendan McCullum, aren't we? Yeah, we are. This time next year, we're certainly going to be looking at ben, Sir Ben Stokes. I mean, if you've got Sir Andrew Strauss, you've got uh, uh, Sir Alistair Cook in uh, recent times, then certainly it's uh, we're looking down the barrel of a, a Sir Ben Stokes. Um, yeah, I, I, I know Brendan pretty well, Hamish, and uh, I, I wouldn't have thought he's going to be big at throwing balls to batsmen. I wouldn't think he's going to be big at hitting too many catches, etc. He's more likely... Um, as Andrew Gordy has pointed out, to be walking around the group and dealing with uh, the top six inches. Is that the way you would see it with Brendan? Entirely. Um, as I sort of mentioned, there's a huge level of talk or chat that goes around the England cricket team. And so guys are forever feeling they're a failure or two away from being dropped. That's one of the consequences of having depth, I guess. You have a lot of people you can potentially bring in. And, and so the fear of failure is it looms large, particularly over batsmen. And I think we've seen... England teams um, uncertain with the bat, uh, not really clear in their methods, frightened of failure. And when McCullum comes into a group, he takes the fear of failure away. He, he wants you to express yourself, to play your shots. And it, it all sounds really cliched and, and, they have, and what have you, but it actually works. If you can remove the fear of the consequence, if you can remove the fear of being dropped, you can actually play, you can actually do as they say, see ball, hit ball. And that's what McCullum's preaching, and that's why it works. It's not about throwing balls. It's not about video analysis. It's about how you feel in the head and how you're able to express your talent. Yeah, it's it's a remarkable um, way that he's found it, and uh, it's uh, proved uh, the, the the fact that it's proved so so successful so early. I think is the thing that uh, surprises me. Uh, Hamish, uh, what did you make uh, yesterday of the announcement from New Zealand Cricket, the Players Association, etc., the minor associations? of this pay equity agreement uh, as such? Oh, you have to be for it. Um, but one of the things that comes with money is scrutiny, and the White Ferns have basically escaped scrutiny uh, in recent years. The World Cup was a bit of a watershed. Um, people actually saw it. It's funny being a cricket fan in New Zealand. New Zealand cricket, it's sort of a hidden the game away on a niche streaming service. Um, you take the World Chess champions as we w- are still, um, and you hide them away and you give them a guide in white ball cricket and meeting less test matches against also ran opponents. It's the same for the White Ferns. Um, they were on show on Sky. People actually saw the calibre of player. They actually saw their failings and they were critical of them. And I don't think the team responded that well to it in terms of their performances and I don't think they liked it. Um, so they're now going to be getting paid. Um, no one's going to be watching them play particularly, but with money becomes scrutiny, and I don't think that team is, is used to scrutiny. I don't know how they'll handle it. Um, we have to look after female athletes. We have to give them the opportunity to succeed, and, and money helps that. But if you don't actually see the team play, they're, they're kind of irrelevant. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Uh, I just wonder, Andrew Gordy, uh, what Amy Satterthwaite was thinking when she saw the fine print about the, uh, the, new, uh, the new agreement. Yeah, no, it's a very, very good point that. Um, yeah, the timing of it is um, is uh, disappointing, I suppose, from from her perspective. And, and look, you just look at the numbers, the fact that some of these players could be doubling their salaries. I mean, this is a, this is a life-changing development, isn't it, for, for some of these players at least. 
Um, and as Hamish points out, yeah, you, you really think that uh, that's going to mean a, a change in, in, in every aspect, I suppose, for, for these players. And it's essentially a message saying that, yep, there's more, there's more interest, there is more coverage of these, these players and, and, and this team, I suppose. Um, and with that does, does come more scrutiny, absolutely. I think um, perhaps the other thing that I, I really like about this move from New Zealand cricket is it instantly puts more pressure on other sports to follow suit. Um, you know, we had New Zealand... I'm pretty sure New Zealand football has already done this, um, which I don't know exactly what the fine, the fine print is there, but I, I do seem to recall New Zealand football making a, a similar announcement that essentially players, when they, when they go overseas or on international duty, will get paid the same as, as what male players would. This is obviously different because we're talking, we're talking contracts here and this is their, their bread and butter, I suppose, as opposed to footballers who, who earn most of their money playing at club level. But it's going to be interesting to see, I suppose, how New Zealand rugby in particular would respond to, to this sort of move. Um, if, our, if our leading women's cricketers are being paid the same as the men, then does that mean that there is going to be pressure, I suppose, for them to at least explain why uh, women's rugby players are not being paid the same as the men? I mean, we know that there, there are two uh, completely different commercial um, realities, I suppose, um, for these two teams, but... You know, the, the heat's on there now, so, and, I, and I can't imagine it's going to go away until we see some meaningful change there. Well, I imagine uh, Rob Nicholl, um, Hamish, would be working away at this, or he might be behind the scenes. I, I know he and uh, Heath Mills get on pretty well, so um, they would have uh, perhaps compared notes about this, Hamish, but uh, you would imagine, because it wasn't that long ago, um, after the furor around the Black Ferns, that they contracted quite a few, but that was... Uh, I think more so towards the World Cup in terms of aiding their preparation as such, but there might be a little bit more, uh, I'd say, finality, uh, a bit more surety coming into the uh, perhaps the women's game as a result of uh, their cricketing sisters. Yeah, and as I say, positive. Um, the media, um, of which I'm part, we're all part, um, and organisations say all the right things about female sport, but they very rarely back them with actions. Um, we're all meant to have a great amount of respect for these people. We're all meant to uh, gather around and, and cheer for them. But when the rubber hits the road, there's very little support or money for uh, athletes. There's uh, coaches that don't fit the environments. There's um, mistreatment. Um, money is a help, but there are still a number of sort of cultural uh, things around female athletes and female teams that we're not getting right. Um, and... The, the, the worth of the person and the treatment of the person would be probably more important to me than, than actual money. Mm. Interesting. Uh, well, um, the uh, the gloss of the Warriors weekend wore off pretty quickly, uh, Andrew Gordy, with the announcement uh, this morning, the rumour yesterday, but the announcement this morning that uh, the Warriors have signed Shans and Nicole Klockstad. Klockstad, I should say. I better get used to saying that because uh, he's going to be an integral part of our team going forward. Uh, they have some interesting uh, hyphens in their sporting names. Is there more hyphens than there used to be? Put it that way. Uh, he here's the thing. Um, the, gl the gloss has gone pretty quickly because uh, we don't want to lose Reese Walsh. We're going to lose him, particularly after he said he wanted to come. Yeah, and, and this is, I suppose, the, the thing that's going to be really tough for Warriors fans to swallow this morning is they we heard, we, didn't we? And he said it in black and white that he's going to be coming to, to New Zealand next year and, and seeing out his contract. Um, but as has been revealed, obviously, in this press release this morning and, and certainly uh, the news um, got around pretty quickly uh, yesterday, yesterday afternoon and last night, 
um, there has been a, a big change in Reese Walter's personal life. I understand he's he separated from the mother of his daughter, and essentially they weren't going to be making the move over to New Zealand. So, um, as has been sort of reported now, um, he's gone to the Warriors. He's asked for a release, and um, yeah, from what we gather, he was he was basically asked where he wanted to go. Um, he wanted to go back to the Broncos, and so he was allowed to negotiate with them. Now, reports out of Australia this morning suggest that that's come as a, a huge blow to the Dolphins, uh, who were prepared to offer him uh, a massive deal, a much, much bigger deal than, by the sounds of things, what he's going to be getting at the Broncos. Um, but that was essentially the terms of, of this release, I suppose. You can negotiate with the Broncos, and that's it. Um, so the Broncos are getting an absolute steal on this uh, for a... You know, a guy who was on the fringe of an origin squad, they're getting him for uh, a roundabout, probably a wee bit more than what he was on at the Warriors. Um, but certainly, this is not a case of Reese Walsh saying, I want out, and then going and cashing in somewhere else. That's, that's not what's happening here. And I think anyone who's looking at this situation from a, from a human point of view can understand uh, why this is happening, why this, is, why this has happened as much as it's a, a huge blow. And I suppose... The, the tough thing really here is it, it just adds another layer of complexity to what's already looking like a, a really shaky situation, I think, for the Warriors in terms of how that how they line up next year. Yes, you've got Charles Nickel Fox uh, who comes in, and, and I'm sure he will line up at fullback, but I think there were probably even some Warriors fans who were perhaps wondering whether Reese Walsh might make a move into the halves next year. They, they are light there, and there is still, as much as he obviously had a good... Uh, day out, obviously, against the, the Tigers last weekend. There are still question marks over Sean Johnson's future. And if, for whatever reason, it comes to that and, and Sean is not at the club next season, it, it looks like the Warriors are extremely light and, and when it comes to halves options. So, um, yeah, there's still plenty of work to do for, for Cameron George. But, uh, yeah, certainly in terms of the news of Reese Walsh going, it is, it is disappointing, but I think understandable. Hamish, what is a contract these days? What 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 does it what does it mean? I mean, uh, it just seems if I look at uh, Matt Lodge in particular, um, just staying with the Warriors, the theme, of course. What uh, what is a contract? Well, the Warriors have been worth nothing since Roger Tuivasa-Shek as captain was allowed to go mid-season last year. Um, that set the precedent, followed by people like Lodge and Matt, uh, Nathan Brown, and now. Uh, Reese Walsh. Walsh isn't a loss to me. Walsh is a is a mercurial player. I think his best day is a great day, but I don't know that you're going to get it, you know, more than once or twice out, out of ten games. So, I guess in his mind, he thinks he's an elite player. I mean, I get his personal circumstances, but I, I think he probably regards himself as an elite player, and he wants to go to a, a better environment. I think his departure further cements uh, the Warriors situation as a sort of club of last resort. Um, I think we're about to see that with the chances of Andrew Webster, who's you know just a middling assistant coach, a couple of stints at the Tigers, a stint here at the Warriors, now just recently joined the Penrith staff. Like he's he's not a game changer. He doesn't. He's not going to um, do anything remarkable out of the Warriors, and so they're a club that no one wants to go to, and that's that's a bit of an issue. Yeah, it is. It's. Um it's quite strange, and it, it seems to be a story, well, at least one a week uh, at the moment, the contractual side of things with the Warriors. I'm not sure uh, how I'd feel if I was Cameron George going to sleep every night, but never mind. Uh, here we go. We'll move across to uh, the All Blacks, gentlemen, if we can. I'll, I'll start with the, you, Andrew. Sam Whitelock confirmed is out with delayed onset concussion. Patrick Tuopolotu brought in completely out of the blue. 
Uh, and the other issue, of course, uh, Stuart Barnes saying Sam Kane isn't good enough for the All Blacks. I would have thought Stuart Barnes could have tidied up his own backyard at the moment. Yeah, I really couldn't give to um, you know what I'm about to say about what uh, <laughs> what Stuart really thinks about Sam Kane. Um, and I think, honestly, Smithy, I just I just kind of laugh these days. I mean, we us Kiwis and, and the media are very much to blame with this, and so I have to have to put that out there. But what is it about the New Zealand media and the New Zealand psyche that we just love putting it out there? What these British uh, journos think about our rugby players and our rugby team. Like, I just couldn't care less. Like, now, d- does that mean to say that I disagree completely with what he said? No, but it's certainly not going to shape my opinion. And, and it shouldn't really shape the opinion of, of any rugby fan in New Zealand. I mean, I think Sam Kane's a, a very good player, but there is no question about it. He, he is under pressure. He is under pressure. He's, he's the captain of a team. Uh, playing in a position where I think there are legitimate question marks over whether he is the best person to be filling that jersey. I mean, I think the form of Dalton Papali'i this year has been uh, extremely hard to ignore. And and I think especially you, you can't make the case, for example, that his leadership is so strong and so important to that team uh, that he is, a, he is a must-have player despite you know, what, uh, what his, his performance may be like. I think Sam Kane's a very good player, and I'm not for a second suggesting that he should be dropped or he's not good enough to be an all-black. That's just, that's just rubbish. But, yeah, there is, there is some, I don't know, some sense to what he's saying. But, yeah, like I say, I'm not going to let it shape my opinion for, for, for a second. Mm. OK, uh, Hamish, uh, I'll give you a, a crack at that if you like. And um, are you expecting a, a Sam Whitelock out? Would you say it's just... Straight change for Patrick Tuapolotu in and leave Scott Barrett on the side or Barrett into lock, you reckon? I'd, I'd probably think Barrett to lock. Uh, I think they'd probably want to have a look at a Kiri Yuan if he's fit to play. Uh, well, he's not my favourite player, but um, he's clearly rated in that environment. The white lock thing's interesting. He is, to me, the out-and-out leader of that team. I think he's probably just about the best player as well. Um, so he's a big absence, but I've sort of... I don't know. I've been really critical of, of Ian Foster in recent times, um, partly because I was hoping for change. I don't think we're going to get change. Um, so I think we just might as well just get on with it. You know, I thought they won reasonably well last week, and you have to commend them for it. Um, we haven't quite gone down the football route of international friendlies, but we're, we're kind of on the way with rugby. The World Cup is, is so important. It looms so large. So with guys like Whitelock, like a person like Whitelock out with his immense leadership and immense playing ability, I think it's good. I think we're at a period in the World Cup cycle where I don't think the results are that important. I think it's about developing players, about giving guys game play, uh, game time and developing uh, combinations. I think that's more important. The Kane thing, to go to Andrew's comments, um, I'm surprised they went all in on him. And I think they've had chances to sort of review that decision. And they've obviously seen a lot in Kane as a player and a leader. And that, let's face it, they, they're armed with all the information. We're on the outside, and also they have self-interest at heart. Like, it's, it's in their best interest to win and win well and pick the right team. So if they see that in Kane, they must believe it's really there. And what we think is, is, is immaterial. I mean, I, I'm happy if the All Blacks lose in, in the next couple of years because I think it helps their development. I think this is where we're at in the cycle, and I think without getting too pom pom about it, I think let's just get behind them and praise them when they do well and then see what happens. Yeah, I think uh, you, you've, you've got the, probably got the right attitude there, Hamish, uh, on that score. It is, it is what it is. It is the future. 
Sam Kane stays fit. Sam Kane is our captain for the World Cup. It's as simple as that. Uh, unless we have a horrendous run of losses. And I don't think we are, are going to because the quality of the side, the quality of the depth of the side is very, very apparent. And uh, I still back us to beat most sides, particularly on New Zealand soil. I know the World Cup's in France, but uh, I, I, I don't think we'll get beaten very often at home between now and the World Cup. And there aren't that many opportunities to lose between now and then anyway. So uh, I guess what I'm saying is, Sam Kane, and Foster, it's your World Cup for us to win. Good luck. It's 10.22. Hamish Bidwell and Andrew Gordy have been the panellists this morning. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your time. We'll have another panel tomorrow morning. He's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, we've uh, got uh, Michael Karianas uh, coming to us uh, just after the 10.30 news. Uh, two or three league texts have come in uh, just on this Walsh situation. Based on NRL 360's comments last night, he had clauses in his contract for 2024 where he can go if he doesn't like it here, which is fair enough as it was signed off. So this just reeks of, a, again, the Warriors being too nice and letting these players go. If we're serious on winning a comp, we need to set an example to be firm on keeping the talent and keeping people under their contract terms. Interesting. Dale has come in and said, uh, Chan's uh, Nickel Clockstead was a great player at his peak, but he's busted up now, already paying too much for a broken Johnson. Don't need another one taking up big cap space. Dallin Watini Zelazniak is an international fullback, wasted on the wing. Uh, also, uh, he adds to that, Broncos should have to give Warriors the uh, Tamari Martin as well. Um, if, it, if he ends up going there, he should... Uh, and Tamari Martin, well, depends where they play, Reese Walsh, of course. Tamari Martin's had a hell of a season for them, hasn't he, uh, in terms of uh, his full-back play and his comeback year. He's been simply outstanding. Um, and I'm not sure Kevin Walters would ignore that. So maybe they're looking at, if it is the Broncos, uh, much more in a playmaker situation. Uh, and if it's the Dolphins, then, uh, of course, uh, they can pick them where they want because they haven't formalised their squad yet. Uh, on uh, other issues uh, that have come in, Peter said, get paid as you play. Uh, time to head overseas if you are a spinner then with Williamson, Stead and Larson in charge. Mm, interesting. Uh, so there's still that uh, underlying feeling for Pete in particular that uh, won't change anything from a spin bowling point of view. They will still be basically unemployed uh, in this country. Um so, uh, yeah, we've got uh, the news coming up uh, in around about 30 seconds. And after that, uh, we will be getting inside this uh, Reese Walsh situation. Uh, I understand that uh, Michael Karianis uh, has just been on a Zoom call with Cameron George, of course, who's the CEO of the Warriors. Uh, we'll uh, see if we can get uh, a little insight as to what came out of there. In the meantime, here's Araha. In terms of Reese, we've got no we've got no worries there. I mean, that's we're pretty confident that that's been started by some of these Australian clubs over here that would like to get their hands on him. But Reese is happy where he is, and he's he's um, enjoying his football, and he's excited to be moving to New Zealand. Well, believe it or not, that was Warriors general manager of football, Craig Roberts, speaking uh, with Ricardo Ball back uh, in April on this very station, adamant that Reese Walsh would come to New Zealand and stay a Warrior. Well, the first part was right, at least he has been here, but reports out of Australia last night have pointed towards the young fullback leaving the Warriors in favour of a return to the Brisbane Broncos, perhaps. While it's now been confirmed, actually, that Chans and Nickel Klockstad has uh, told the Canberra Raiders 
that he's leaving to return home to New Zealand. And there's more, but we'll bring in our next guest first, who broke the news last time and sent Warriors fans over here into a tailspin, and that's the Daily Telegraph's uh, Michael Karianis. Uh, Mick to his friends, I hope that we can call him Mick. Uh, good morning to you, mate. Uh, interesting developments. Uh, they seem to happen all the time over here with the Warriors. Yeah, good morning, and Yeah, a few uh, crazy hours in, in Warriors land, but I just got off the uh, off a press conference w- with Cameron George, and he's confirmed that Charles Nicholas will return to the club on a three-year deal from from next season, and, and Reese Walsh has been uh, released on compassionate grounds, and uh, the the club uh, that the Warriors will release him to will be the Broncos only. So Reese Walsh will be a Bronco next season. I'll just give you an example. Uh, we, we, there's a lot of feeling, as you can ex- uh, imagine, over here, particularly on the back of such a successful weekend when we thought things might be just turning the corner a, a wee bit, Mick. Uh, Liam has texted into the show saying, Cameron George has created a culture where the players can come and go as they please. They should grow a backbone and make players see out the contract. The club is an absolute basket case. Uh, and that is not um, an isolated text, I think it's fair to say. What do you make of that and the feeling for the Warriors back here now? Yeah, it's it's hard. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, this is off the back of Matt Lodge and Nathan Brown and, and Ewan Aiken, all these guys that um, didn't fulfil their contract with the club. And Reese Walsh is the marquee man. But things I feel a little bit for, or a lot for Cameron George. He's had to confront uh, a lot in the past two years in, in COVID and, and the side living away from home and, you know, recruits signing on, on, on long-term deals but never get into Auckland. And uh, Reese Walsh's circumstances have changed. He, he first approached the club about six weeks ago about a release because of a, a relationship breakdown, and uh, he, which meant that he, his ex-partner and his young child were going to remain in Brisbane. So uh, he approached the club and the club said the only way we'd entertain a release is if we find a suitable replacement and, uh, they're able to sign chance for for the same reasons that Reese is leaving. Reese is leaving to remain in, in in Australia to be close to his family. Well, well Chance's young children, I believe, live in Auckland as well. So he, you know, the Canberra Raiders have shown uh, have done the same thing essentially as the Warriors to to allow Chance to to return home. See, a lot of people at home have got. Uh, relatively long memories, and they remember that in the in between season period last year. Uh, we all know what happened in Reese Walsh with his personal life. The Warriors, instead of throwing him under the bus, stood in front of the bus. So a lot of people were starting to say, where's the payback, you know? Yeah, oh, no doubt. And, and the frustration probably shouldn't be levelled at the Warriors as such. It should be levelled at, at these guys that haven't fulfilled those contracts because the Warriors took a punt on, on Reese Walsh. They, they identified him, they threw him big money, they gave him a, a first-grade opportunity where, don't forget, the Broncos didn't. You know, it was only the start of last year where the Broncos had sort of cast him aside and um, weren't going to play him in, in first grade where he got an opportunity at the Warriors. So I think the frustrations, you know, should be leveled towards the player more so than the club. The club is are dealing yeah. with the situation that, that, that's been brought, brought upon him by, by the player. What's a rugby league uh, contract worth these days? And I'm not talking dollars and cents now. Is, is this... Is this just um, isolated to uh, the Warriors as such, or, or what are these pieces of paper worth then? Yeah, well, we, exactly what's happened at Canberra as well. Chance had another 12 months to, to run on his deal, and he's out early. So that's probably the, the, the circumstances. But, what, what you know, the player has all the power. There's no doubt about that. It, it, a club can't do a good deal, because if you're a club and you sign a player on, on massive overs on a long-term deal, well, you're stuck with them. You have to pay them. They're guaranteed their money. Where if you sign a player that's, 
wants to get out, well, he can agitate it or get a release. Or if he wants a pay rise, he can agitate for a pay rise. So the days of a club doing a good deal are, are gone. So, um, Mac, in, in terms of Reese Walsh, we know he's going, but to where? Broncos for you or Dolphins for you? I'll be the Broncos. They, the Warriors will only release him to, to um, join the Brisbane Broncos. Uh, he, he'll be a Bronco for probably the next three years. I expect that to be announced in the next 24, 48 hours. Where does that leave Tamari Martin then? Yeah, good question. Good question. I'm not sure. He, he's been a revelation for, for the Broncos this year. You know, he's re- resurrected his career at the club and, and done a really good job at, at fullback. You know, do they see him potentially switch to, to the 5'8 role, but they got the, they've got that young Ezra Mann who, who they've earmarked as a long-term player. Does he become a, a number 14 and a, and a bit of a super sub to, you know, fill in a, a few positions? We know he's played a lot of positions in, in his career at North Queensland and, and Penrith before that, but um, he's off contract. He, he was handed a lifeline by the Broncos. I know that they want to keep him, but, you know, he might be looking for an opportunity elsewhere now. How does uh, this match up then, from a Warriors point of view, um, the swap really between um, between Reese Walsh and Chance uh, Nicol Klukstad? How does this measure up in your eyes, bearing in mind that uh, Chance has had a relatively large uh, history of injury of late? Yeah, in in terms of the next five or ten years, it, you know the Warriors will, will look back and go, "Wow, we had a, we had a superstar in our midst." There's no doubt about that. Reese Walsh has got the potential to be a decade long player uh, at the top echelon. But in the next 12 to 24 months, for, for what the, the Warriors need, they've lacked leadership. Since Roger Tuovasa-Shek left the club, you know, you look around and, and Tohu Harris seems to be the only real leader in, in that club at the moment. So what they get in chance is a leader, a steady hand, a good voice, someone that can help the, the really young outside backs come through. So I think in the next 12, 12 24 months, he's actually the perfect sign in for the Warriors in terms of where they need to go. But, you know, losing a player of Reese Walsh's potential, you know, is going to hurt. Do you see him as a straight replacement at fullback or perhaps keep your options open on that? No, nah, he'll play fullback. He, he's been signed to, to play fullback. I think he's wanted to come home for a while now and uh, the Warriors just haven't had a, a space for him because they view him as a fullback. He views himself uh, as a fullback. So, you know, bar an injury, he'll start next season. Uh, in the number one jersey. Okay, let's look uh, now at the coaching issue here. Um, I'm not sure anything uh, came out of that in your Zoom call, but what what are you um, surmising might happen uh, with the Stacey Jones interim situation come uh, looking forward to next year? Yeah, I'd be shocked if it's not Penrith assistant coach Andrew Webster um, that gets the opportunity to to be the long-term head coach at the Warriors. They went after Christian Wolfe but, but missed out on him, so... Andrew Webster looms as, as the next likely option. I asked Cameron George directly about Andrew Webster. He said they're working through the coaching situation and want to have an answer by the end of this week. But uh, it's my understanding that it'll be Andrew Webster. He worked as an assistant under Andrew McFadden at the club a, a couple of years ago and has since bounced between the, the Tigers and, and the Panthers. What are his strengths um, in terms of uh, his coaching role as such? I mean... Being a head coach is a, a different kettle of fish. It comes with mm. uh, a whole different set, set of pressures, of course. Uh, Mick, so uh, what convinces you, perhaps, that Andrew Webster is our man for the future? Yeah, he's a really good attacking coach, really good young coach. The, the Warriors said they always wanted an emerging coach. I think that's the phrase they're looking for, someone that can grow 
uh, with the young players. And, you know, he, he's probably not well known to the public, but he served a great apprenticeship. You know, he started in the, in the Super League as an assistant coach almost two decades ago, had a, a short stint as interim coach at the West Tigers in between Jason Taylor's sacking and, and Ivan Cleary arriving. And, you know, he was so, th- uh, so sought after and highly thought of by Ivan Cleary that he brought him to, to the Panthers last year. The other thing I guess about him and the advantage he has, having worked under Andrew McFadden, is he knows a little bit about the culture that exists at the Warriors. And I say that with an inverted commas because it's always brought up. It's a different franchise because of its fan base and where it's located uh, and, and just basically the upbringing, etc. around it. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, the... the um the growth of, of, of the Pacifica player too and the influence that that has on, on the Warriors. It's only natural that, that someone has to relate to, to those players and be a voice for them. And that's why Christian Wolf was so highly sought after because of the success that he's had with Tonga. There's no doubt about that. That was a, a drawing card for, for him. Uh, Andrew Webster's assistant coach at Samoa at the moment. So he's had a, a bit of an experience at, at the international level as well. So, you know, he, he's been in and around the game for, for a long time, whether he's up to it, who knows? But, you know, he's got all the runs on the board for a guy that you'd want in terms of pedigree uh, heading into a head coaching role. You sound like you're pretty close to the action, uh, Mick, to me. So can you give uh, any of our Warriors fans out there listening any other scoops or any other scope for perhaps talent heading in our direction other, uh, and, and uh, as opposed to going the other way? That's enough for now, surely. It's been a chaotic four hours. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, well, we're that, used to it. Moment, really. yeah. we're, we're used to it, mate. Don't worry. So no, nothing uh, you say will surprise us. <laughs> I know, I know. But, um, you know, I hopefully, we all hope, you know, there's a lot of goodwill for, for the Warriors in Australia. And, uh, you know, we really hope that they can, you know, finally... Get get uh, get going. They find some really good players for next year. Marada Niakore is an outstanding player. You know, Dylan Walker looks like he's going to add something to that. So I look Metcalf, the young half that they got some wraps on. You know, and Ronald Volkman, who we've seen, uh, you know, glimpses of so far this year. So you know, the foundations are there for a really good side. Someone like Wade Egan's improved significantly and has gone from, you know, an average hooker towards the, you know, nudging towards the top echelon. You know, so you know, the foundations are there for for a good side for the Warriors. Well, we hope so, and we hope it continues after last weekend because that was so special. Uh, Mick Karianis, thank you so much for your time this morning and uh, providing us with that information hot off uh, the Zoom call with uh, Cameron George. Really appreciate it, mate. Go well. Pleasure, mate. Anytime. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Mick Karianis there out of uh, Australia, and uh, they are busy boys, those league journalists, aren't they? <laughs> Something breaking uh, around the various franchises, and that'll increase, of course, as the franchise number increases with the Dolphins coming up very shortly. Who have they signed? Uh, who, who, uh, they've been pretty quiet lately, the Dolphins, very quiet. They might have had aspirations for Reese Walsh, but as Mick has just pointed out, Broncos, and only Broncos, he believes, for the uh, up-and-coming superstar, who will no longer be... Uh, a warrior. It is 10.44 here on SENZ. He's with Ian Smith on SENZ. Lots of texts coming in. We'll get to those uh, through uh, till 12 o'clock as well. We've got a bit of space in the next hour as well. So, uh, Smithy, absolutely ropeable one has come in. I'm sick of this ridiculous situation coming up time after time. You don't see the roosters or the storm dealing with this rubbish 
honestly, the owner and the CEO need to take a good look in the mirror. I'm sure they've done that a lot, uh, to be fair. But you are right. It doesn't appear to, and maybe it just doesn't get the same media on this side of the Tasman when it involves an Australian club. But uh, I well remember the case of Brandon Smith. Now, I remember at the end of last year, Brandon Smith did a couple of silly things, but he also... Um, he, he shot himself around. He made it very public in front of the. He rubbed the noses uh, of the of the storm hierarchy into it, really, by by shopping himself around very publicly uh, to uh, a number of outfits, in particular to the Roosters, saying, "I'd love to play here," even though he's still on the books. Uh, but uh, they have held firm uh, the storm and said that might be fine, and you can go at the end of your contract. But you're honouring this contract. You are staying. Um, and I, I just wonder whether our administration, if someone was openly saying, I want to get out of here, uh, whether they would hold them to it. I, I don't think they would. I don't think it's in their DNA as such to do it that way. But I remember in that particular case, the storm were staunch. They didn't like what he did. They were open about that, and they weren't prepared to just let him go for the hell of it either. So uh, they've made him stay and play. So a different, maybe a slightly different scenario, but... It's uh, it's way that you're perceived as dealing with your contracted players, I'm sure. 10.51 here on SCNZ. NZ Update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. And a great opportunity to catch up with uh, Mark Clayton this morning as uh, we look at uh, Cambridge Synthetic today, Mark. Seven races uh, beginning at 11.57 race one. Yeah, just on an hour away, Smithy. Good morning to you. Hey, a um, couple of good bets today, I think. Race three, Destiny's Child out of the Ginny and Bob Barnes stable. Sam Spratt to ride. It was a good one at two starts back at Avondale, and I think around 5.52.10. Pretty good value in a nice little field. The other best, I say, race seven, uh, not named after me, but Bourbon Cure. Tegan Newman to ride is around $3, not close last time. And the roughly, well, the each way bet for the day, Smithy, I reckon race five, Kachiko Sana out of the Patsy Ridey stable. It's about 11 and threes. So a couple to tie you through the afternoon on the synthetic. It's an interesting thing, the synthetic, Mark, because, um, you know, it's been it's still so relatively new. It's pretty hard to gauge form, isn't it, still? It is, it is. There's a lot of horses not going, so it sort of helps it a bit. Some horses just don't, they're just not going to cope with it. But uh, surprisingly, a few of the ones you thought wouldn't do. So you were still trying to make source of the form, but the horses are winning from everywhere on the track. So I suppose that's, that is a positive. OK, Mark, thank you very much uh, for your input this morning. Have a great day with those punts. So hopefully we've got uh, Pip Morris joining us uh, from the TAB very shortly. I'm uh, just uh, waiting for Pip to uh, answer the phone and hopefully she'll come through because it's a relatively busy day today. Um, yep, Pip, uh, Pip is with us. Uh, Pip, we've got Greyhounds from Palmerston North today. Good morning to you. 12 races uh, starting just after midday. Good morning. Maybe it certainly is. We've got a terminating pick six to look forward to as well. That'll start on race seven. Really like big time tests in race three off the eighth alley. She's in a reverse order form race, but she ran a really nice second at Cambridge last Thursday, so quite keen on her, made it the best bet of the day for mine, and on the sports side of things, a couple of bets, an early one on the tennis, two and a half grand at $2 on Djokovic v Nadal to be the Wimbledon final smithy, and that's in the name the finalist to bet, and $2,296 on over nine and a half total runs in the Phillies National Major League Basketball game, so a couple of little plays there on the sports side. 
Interesting. Uh, thanks very much for uh, that, Pip. You have uh, a great day, uh, particularly uh, around the Palmerston North Greyhounds, and uh, look forward to uh, hearing more from you in the commentary box as well, Pip. Of course, uh, with the pending retirement of Trevor Wilkes, there'll be opportunities uh, opening up uh, all around the joint when it comes to calling uh, of the dogs. So, uh, Pip Morris, uh, we'll be uh, hearing a lot more of her um, in our ears in terms of broadcasting races. Uh, we'll be hearing... Marcus Wheelhouse in our ears just after 11 o'clock of course he is uh, primarily uh, a golfing coach uh, around the Auckland area but he's also individually the coach of Ryan Fox Uh, so we'll catch up with uh, Marcus Wheelhouse this is an amazing runner form From behind the stumps to behind the mic nothing gets past Smithy this is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ and it's uh, 11.03 here on SENZ and uh, the number one golfer in New Zealand is now the number 46 golfer in the world and that that uh, really does illustrate a terrific uh, run of form for one Ryan Fox. Uh, it's uh, something to be proud of and something to really look forward to because the way he's playing at the moment, he is just just a bit of luck away from uh, capturing another title and of course the Open Championship, the 150th Open Championship is just around the corner that beckons after the Scottish Open coming up this weekend. One of the reasons why he's playing so well, and undoubtedly, is the fact that he's got a great relationship with his New Zealand-based coach, Marcus Wheelhouse, uh, a renowned coach, of course, and member of the PGA in his own right. Uh, Marcus, good morning to you. Good morning, Smithy. How are you? Oh, look, I'm happy, but I imagine uh, you're absolutely stoked. I mean, and, and uh, he's going to win one soon when these guys stop knock, knocking in 40, 50-foot <laughs> putts on a regular basis to stop him. <laughs> yeah, I've woken up the family a few times with a few expletives. I've got to be said at 2 o'clock in the morning. But, uh, yeah, no, it's, um, yeah, no it's, look, it's, it's great to see at the moment just you know him playing the way he is and, uh, and getting out of his own way and, and just, um, I suppose, realising his talent. That's interesting, that, that phrase, getting out of his own way. Um, has he been in his own way in the past, do you think, to a large degree? Well, I think there's stages of that, isn't there? And, uh, and when you look at what a sports person goes through, they, they go through a development stage of, you know, of many things and, and technique and, and you know, mind and, and all those sort of things. And I suppose you get to a point, you know, when you, you've got a number of hours under your belt where, you know, the the subconscious is, is, is happening and that's where you're in that state where, you know, things can just happen nicely and, and um, you know, and that's what I feel like, you know, with Ryan now, he's, he's starting to get to that point where he's, you know, he's not, he's not, he hasn't really reached his, I think, his peak yet, but but he's, he's sort of getting into that nice place where he's feeling comfortable with a lot of things about his game and, and then um, obviously that's reflecting the scores. A lot of people remark to us on the show about his uh, his attitude, uh, his friendly disposition, uh, his, his relationship with the media, etc. But I think it also goes to his demeanour on the course, where uh, he you know he makes mistakes, but it it, it looks like uh, from the outside looking in, it doesn't get to him as it would say uh, other professionals. Is is that fair? Yep, I think it's very fair. Um, I think that you know when you look at, uh, I suppose your reactions. Uh, one of the, one of the things that I Know, always admired about Foxy was that you know even you know right from day dot from when I started with him whatever it was 12 years or so ago um, you know he, he'd hit a poor shot on the range and and he would pick the positive part out of it right um, so even if it was a it was a terrible strike sorry I've got to track that time passing 
even if it was a terrible strike, um, it would you know it would create um, some sort of straightness, and he would put and he'd pick that positive part out of it. So, so that's what you know his brain does, and has been I think um, you know basically aligned to is trying to take a positive out of everything that's happening, and uh, and that's a really you know it's a really lovely trait to have. Uh, look, uh, what has happened eff- effectively with this uh, meteoric rise up the world rankings is that uh, Ryan Fox's schedule, I imagine, is, is changing uh, on a regular basis because a number of those tournaments that he wanted to play in were question marks quite some time ago. They're not now. They're, they're almost lock-ins. So uh, it looks to me uh, we're going to be seeing a lot more of him in high-profile events. Is that fair too? Yeah, look, obviously, the, you know, the, the top 50 in the world, which is just a... You know, something that I think sort of well, it's been on the on the on the hit list for for many years now. It's you know been one of the big goals, and um, that that opens up you know all those things. You know, WGC events, the majors, um, uh, or Custer if he can sustain it. Um, you know, so therefore that you know that that you know, your schedule starts changing pretty much. Then obviously, you know, with the um, development of this uh, the Live Tour and, and how these exemptions are going for the European Tour and the, and the US Tour, that's changing as well in the next couple of years. So. Yeah, there should be some really uh, some big doors open, and if he can, you know, continue his form and and uh, and do what he's doing, then yeah, so it's, it's going to change a lot from what he's doing now. One of the interesting things about following uh, professional golf is that uh, quite often you see players go so well and then they, they drop off. And one of the reasons why we're hearing that is they have equipment changes. Uh, for some reason, they they go to a different variety of shaft or whatever. Uh, but that doesn't appear to have uh, been the Ryan Fox way. Uh, does he do that behind the scenes? Does he tinker as much as some do? Um, I suppose there's tinkering and tinkering. You know, like Smithy, when you look at you know when you look at the, uh, uh, I, I totally agree. I think some, you know some of the you know the, the greatest players have made um, bad decisions on on what could, you know for the dollars, so so to speak, and gone to a, a different company and a whole different you know setup. Um, and it's and it's really come out you know wrongly for them, and I think we've been pretty mindful of that as well. You know, like uh, he does love uh, he's with Frickson, he does love the clubs, he loves the wedges, um, but he does you know make sure that they're they're all very much in the in tip top shape. So tinkering for me would be just making sure the lie angle hasn't changed, uh, making sure that you know he has a uh, um, you know all the different things that sit around the performance of the shot can be you know changed obviously with the golf club change. So there's minor things that happen, but as overall you know the ball hasn't changed unless the company changes it. But it's usually a better development. Um, the clubs he's used have, have stayed the similar model as it's upgraded, as you can appreciate. So all those sort of things there. But yeah, the the main core of what he does, he likes and and he's sticking to that. And I think that's really important. Um, Marcus, the Open is around the corner, of course. First of all, are you going? I am, yeah, I leave tomorrow night to, um, I'll be on the Scottish Open um, practice tee on Saturday morning, so. Fantastic, absolutely fantastic, Um, that's just, that's wonderful news uh, uh, for you, mate, and I was going to ask about that actually, because of course St Andrews is is very, very uh, linksy, it's coastal as such. Has Ryan got a, a preference for that, or has he he learnt to play linksy with his time on the European tour? Yeah, look, he's, I'd say that you know, it's um, links of golfers is up there on his list of of, of likes, and um, he's, he likes St. Andrews. He's played two opens there already, um, and 
so therefore, you know, when you look at that whole, you know, I mean, even just the Irish Opens and the, even though Mount Juliet wasn't that linksy, um, the success he's had in other years on links golf has been quite, you know, quite good. So he uh, he does prefer that wind, you know, driving that golf ball low and, and really being able to control the flight of the ball, which is definitely one of his assets. Um, so yeah, no, he's I, I'm, I'm well, I know he's pumped up for the for the Open, man. I think it'll be uh, definitely on the list. Because my my memory of the latest time that he played there, I think might have been uh, alongside Shane Warne and the Dunhill. Is, is that right? They did very very well. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yep, yep absolutely. Yeah. So no, he, he's he's had a nice affinity with that. I mean, he played he's played pretty good in in, in the fifteen Open when I was up there, and, um, and yeah. that's you know that's a that's a that's a I think a style of golf that really suits him. Yeah. The other thing that comes into play, of course, is, uh, is team golf and the President's Cup uh, is later on this year. Uh, I, I just wonder uh, whether he's putting his name forward in lights uh, for a President's Cup spot. Yeah, I mean, that's been talked. I don't know how much you watch the coverage. Um, I've sort of been watching a bit of it, but that's certainly been talked mm. to by the commentators, um, you know, on the on the DP Tour, and, and I think that's, um, that's becoming, you know, more and more the conversation now. I think he's, you know... He's a big chance to, to play that, and and he, I mean, you know, he'd be a great team man, um, you know, especially with all the experiences. And you know, he's a he's a good storyteller. Um, so, so it's, you know, I think you know he's very liked on the European tour. So that those sort of things are, are a great appeal, and obviously he's backing up with some nice golf. So it'll be uh, it'll be it'll, I think it'd be a nice fun thing for him to be part of. That's for sure. Uh, Marcus, the other thing he might be a target for at some stage is uh, uh, a phone call from uh, Greg Norman. We heard uh, on Staffy's show yesterday <laughs> that that's not a, that's not as seen at the moment. But I'd love your um, I'd love your uh, opinion on it. You're a, you're a member of uh, the PGA, a professional in your own right as such. Um, this is uh, it's becoming quite alarming because it's splitting golf. It's breaking up long term friendships. Um, and at the moment, uh, it, it, every day, it's uh, you get a, a very poor story about this whole deal. H- how have you seen it from from afar? Yeah, I, I've sort of been quite mixed about it all. Um, you know, I started off and I was like, you know, the 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 mode of you know trying to take over golf, which is pretty much what they've tried to do. Uh, they, you know, their their main sort of first model was to to take the top forty players and and um, and and you know get them into that sort of mode of of what they're doing in the tournaments, um, that would obviously deprive the PGA Tour of, of what it is. So, you know, I don't, didn't agree with that at all. Um, I think, you know, when you look at the the whole humanity, you know, and the humanitarian side of thing with Saudi, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I, at, the, at that time, without getting political, um, made it happens in, in lots of places in the world. So I don't think we can single out Saudi uh, for that. But it's, it's certainly from a Saudi Arabia, it certainly put a negative on their country. Um, and and rightly or wrongly, um, that's not my place to to make an opinion on that. I think the the biggest thing is now. I, I agree with you. I think it's divided a lot of the players. Um, I certainly can see um, why they would do it. You know, with the, with the money. I mean, a lot of the guys that are doing it um, are doing it because they've got a certain window in playing golf, and they're sort of thinking about setting up their family. And, and I can't fault them for for thinking that way. Um, but yeah, I, I think the tournaments. I can't see it being sustainable if they don't get ranking points. Um, you know, the players can't continue to sort of play majors. They won't be able to. You know, so someone for like you know Ryan's situation is, you know, he'd be mad to go to it because 
you know, he's not going to be able to have enough ranking points in another two years to be, if they don't get ranking points, to be in the majors, um, even if you're allowed. Mm. I mean, it's obviously interesting to see Ian Poulter just win the win the case and be able to play in the Scottish Open over the last day or so. Um, yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of there's a lot going on, isn't there? So it's really uh, it's it's just I mean, from my point of view, sitting back a little of New Zealand, I'm just it's just interesting reading. And, uh, you know, I, I'm sort of uh, I haven't really got a really strong opinion on. It. I think it's sad mm. that you know, like a pretty couple's saying coming out, who's one of the nicest guys you'll meet, and saying he'll never talk to someone like this again. You know, I just I think that's a shame. Um, so those sort of things there are polarising those personalities, aren't they? And, and really, I think putting a dark side on on golf, which I don't think we need. No, I, I, I totally agree with you there, uh, Marcus. Um, the other interesting aspect of, of this is how it's going to play out, uh, uh, or, or play out in terms of like the Presidents' Cup or the Riders' Cup and and teams' events. And um, there's been quite a big reaction in the last day or so to Taylor Gooch's comments. Now Taylor Gooch is one of the up and coming young pros on the PGA, or he was until he defected. Uh, certainly has not made that living that uh, he needs to do. So he's he's gone chasing the dollars as such. Uh, him coming out and say uh, the the team side of the the competition, the LIV, uh, the the Live Teams competition. He said it, it, he hadn't played Ryder Cup or Presidents Cup, uh, but he said it it, it it must have been akin to that. He said it was such a special feeling, and people like Justin Thomas uh, and Rory McIlroy etc. Saying, "Is this guy kidding? Is this guy absolutely yeah. kidding?" And, and that's you know people are just hanging on comments as much as anything else. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I read that as well, and I just was, yeah, like, I mean, I think that's probably a, a probably a mistake, throwaway comment, maybe by Taylor Gooch, um, and, and a, it's definitely a mistake to say that, because, I mean, I don't know if you've watched the Live Tour, but it's it's not even, you know, <laughs> close proximity to anywhere near a, a Ryder Cup, and I was lucky enough to be in a Ryder Cup, you know, and, and watch one, and the atmospheres and everything else are electric. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I, yeah, Taylor's got it. Horribly wrong there. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Okay, closer to home, uh, mate. Closer to home. The Wheelhouse Golf School is in operation during uh, the school holidays. Of course, you've got um, opportunities for youngsters um, uh, to to come and learn the game. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I run the Kings Academy out at Royal Auckland, and and we've still got um, some stuff going on with uh, with at Akarana and and just you know trying to obviously grow a sport that's that's definitely on a high. Um, so yeah, any, anybody wants to get in touch with me, just um, you know, just email us, and we'll we'll try and sort of find a program that's suitable for them. And we've got a few coaches working for us now, so it's uh, it's nice to be able to spread the load. And and um, but they're quality coaches, and, and that's what we're all about. And trying to get the the right messaging across to to young young people is um, is, is is incredibly important. So um, yeah, no, it's uh, I'm, I'm I love being part of the game, and it's it's a great game. So. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I encourage anybody to start. And it's amazing to see how many people that are young um, starting these days, Smithy. It's, uh, it's become, I think, probably through you know social media, I think it's become a real, yeah. um, you know, an attractive sport, sport to play. I mean, I'm sure you'd know and you're in a similar area to me. You know, when, it, when, when I was young, mate, golf wasn't cool. Uh, and, it, and certainly golf's cool now. So it's, uh, it's great to see. Yeah, and it's non-contact too, uh, to a large degree, Marcus as well, which a lot of parents are quite keen on, quite keen on the, yeah. these days. And of course, that leads that leads to my final question. I, I, I saw in a little article that uh, Kings College have a, a golf academy. M- many schools, uh, do you know that have golf academies uh, specialising as such? Well, there's 
There's um, there is a few around um, that do you know parts of that curriculum. Uh, I don't think there's too many that have you know world class golf course on the back step um, like like we do here, and uh, and that's the unique part of that. I mean, they literally walk out of Parnell House and they're on the on the golf course um, and a and a, and a world class practice facility. So yeah, they're very unique to that. I don't think there'd be many you know many places like that around the world to be honest. Um, so yeah, so that's that's a, a pretty attractive part of the of the King's curriculum and um, and I'm happy to be uh, you know associated with that and, and, and doing that you know, most nights after school. Marcus Wheelhouse, uh, pleasure uh, talking to you this morning. Thank you very much uh, for your time and your insight into Ryan Fox's great uh, patch of form. Great to hear that you're going to the Open. Enjoy Scotland uh, and travel safe, uh, mate. Stay stay well. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. Cheers, buddy. Yeah, cheers. Uh, Marcus Wheelhouse there, folks. Um, gee, don't you envy that. On a plane tomorrow and he'll be on the practice fairways uh, alongside Ryan Fox and all the greats of the game um, as early as uh, Friday, Friday morning, Thursday, Friday morning. That's staggering. I love that. Love those kind of stories. And uh, all born out of uh, the belief that uh, Ryan Fox is a real candidate here to go very well in the next major, the Open Championship, uh, which is the 150th edition of it in St Andrews starting next week. It's 11.19. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, the lines are always open here on 0800 We've got uh, a number of texts to read out before uh, 11.30, but we've also got uh, Zane who's called through on the line this morning. And Zane, uh, news this morning that uh, Reese Walsh is off. Uh, and Chan's uh, Nickel Klockstad is coming to the club. Uh, what have you made of the recent developments uh, with the Warriors? I know you, you're all over them. Mate, I missed the start of your show out on the um, Hello Tours of Paraharumu there as usual. Um, so I'm not sure what the narrative is. But for me, it's um, you, know, you can understand why the guy may want to stay there with his um, young child and so forth. But with the narrative being that he came to the club five or six weeks back and expressed that desire to leave, why did he then go out of his way to make a public statement just four weeks ago saying that he was definitely coming and staying in 2023? It's the, it's the spin doctoring over the past couple of months that's really starting to get to me, to be honest. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I, I mean, I, I, I imagine these guys have got agents who theoretically would control press releases as, as such. Um, but that was a weird one for me as well, to about face uh, so quickly on, on that particular... I know he's a young kid, but uh, because he was a young kid, the Warriors protected him when he needed protecting, didn't they? But there's a second aspect to this too, mate. When we originally signed him, the Warriors, the um, Broncos went out of their way to ask for compensation, either in a like-for-like player or um, whatever it was, financial. Have we gone back to them now saying, hey, if you can have um, Reese Walsh back, but we want something in return potentially Jesse Arthur's, Arthur's staying for next year or another one of their you know, copious outside backs that the Broncos have got. Um, I hope that that's taking place behind the um, closed doors there. Uh, I would doubt that it is. <laughs> to, uh, the name Tamari Martin is another one that comes to mind as well, Zane. Exactly. And, and the third aspect I would say is with Charles coming back, for me he's probably actually a better fit for our team over the next couple of years because as good as Reese Walsh was on attack. He's not great on D. And with these young outside backs we've got a new to rugby league, I think having an experienced hit at the back there coordinating the defence will probably you know, serve us well over the next couple of seasons. So it's not all bad. But still the way it's been handled well, is, um, is amateur. 
Yeah, it is. Uh, it's a little bit. Does, it comes across as that. It smirks of that. There's no doubt about it. What about? Uh, are you not concerned about the recent injury rate um, to to Nickel Cloaksack at all? I still think we've got a little bit of depth. Yeah, Metcalf is coming in from um, the Sharks. He can cover fullback. You've got Watanese Lesniak there as well. Um, so be be interesting to see. But um, hopefully, when he is on the field, he'll be a solid position to the team. So what are you expecting, uh, now that we've seen uh, what they can do at home, what are you expecting now that they've had that taste, that rejuvenating taste uh, of what it's like to win uh, in the next uh, two to three weeks? Zane? I just want, I, I mean, I, the best thing I saw out of the game on the weekend was the guys smiling, enjoying their footy and their commitment on defence to hold the Tigers out without scoring a try. I want to see that kind of commitment up against some of the bigger teams. We, we might not be able to expect to win, but I want to see the same heart I want to see the same passion to defend our line and not let these games blow out on us. I think the season's pretty much gone, but that's what I'm expecting from the team. What did you shoot this morning? 74, mate. We'll take that. 74? What do you play off? Uh, it's about four and a half at the moment. Four and a half. You'll get cut then. You might get cut on that, on our handicapping system, mate. You could be down to three. Mate, might head off to live golf, eh? But, um, yeah, I'll have to catch up this year around up there up... Um, up in Havelock one day when I'm there. Yeah, uh, well, I'm a, I'm a Bridge Park guy, mate. We'd love to host you at the, the Hastings Golf Club because um, those kind of skillful golfers are few and far between in, in our neck of the woods, I can tell you. Um, and you'll be giving me about seven shots, which I look forward to. Oh, every day, mate. I'll be happy to give it to you. <laughs> Good on you, Zane. Thanks very much for your call. Uh, I'm very jealous. Um, I used to play at uh, Pararumu beach and absolutely loved it so uh what a great golf course to walk around what a great uh, part of the world too uh out there on the the gold coast the kapiti coast as such uh parapara umu beach right uh let's uh, get into it shall we uh, we're back to 50 bucks i'm sad to say because i was useless yesterday on uh, the subjects but uh, we're gonna have uh, a stump smithy on 0800 150 811 back to the 50 see if we can build it up uh, for maybe the weekend uh we're doing my best to, to do that uh, and after that, uh, we shall uh, have uh, a few texts to talk about. Um, we'll be looking forward to uh, handing over to Staffy and uh, maybe another uh, opportunity for you to call as well. Um, as as uh, if you've got an, uh, anything you want uh, on the Warriors as such in particular. Or this latest deal with uh, New Zealand Cricket, which is uh, making all of a sudden on a daily uh, match basis payment uh, scheme making uh, New Zealand women cricketers a pretty happy bunch, I would imagine. It's 11.30, and here is Araha with the news. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Top class, and I'm sure Smithy is ready to line up another potential stumping. We'll see how we go. Make sure you pad up and grab your back because it is time to get stumped on SCNZ mornings. Up for grabs today is a $50 TAB bonus bet. Smithy, before I bring in uh, our first contestant to the crease, how are you liking your chances today? Yeah, I'm a bit disappointed with yesterday's um, uh, performance, to be perfectly honest. Uh, I hate it when, uh, I don't mind it when people beat you and get it right to win, but when you lose and they've lost, uh, it's, a, it's a little bit like the Cricket World Cup, isn't it? I mean, I, I didn't, it's not like I lost, um, you know, like back in 2019. It's not like I actually lost, lost, because they didn't do any better than me as such. Mm. But I lost. It's, it's like my name's not on the cup anymore and the 150 bucks is gone. And so it's a little, it's a little bit uh, concerning in that regard. But however, 
Uh, as you can tell, I'm over it and ready to move on. What have we got today? <laughs> I was just going to ask, was it the performance or the questions? Uh, let's definitely not talk about super overs again, shall we? Uh, first up, no. we have Reed from Gore. Come in, mate. Yeah, g'day team. How are we getting on? Yeah, good, Reed. Well, it's good to hear from you, mate, from the deep south. How cold is it down there? Oh, not too bad, not too bad. you got to excuse, I'm lifting my voice. We uh, come off the back of a bit of a bender. We had a bit of a win for the old uh, rugby club competition down here, so um, still a bit dusty. Yeah, but hold it. Didn't you play, when did you play that, on Saturday? <laughs> Wednesday today? Yeah. On Saturday, mate, yeah, still recovering, still recovering. Wow. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Okay, fair enough, Reid. Let's hope your brain is uh, a little bit more in sync than the voice then, okay? Uh, let's, uh, what are the subjects today um, Today for us, Logan? Yeah, clearly they know how to party and gore. Good luck to you, mate. The uh, topics today are netball, golf, and basketball. Take your pick. Uh, yeah, I'll take Smitty on and a bit of netball. Okay, good luck. Really thought you're going to be a brave man there and say golf, but hey, good luck to you both. First question, netball. What year did netball become a full medal sport at the Commonwealth Games? Oh. Um, I'll say 2000 and oh, Commonwealth Games, we have to go 2008, 2010. 2010, your answer? Yep. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Richie got a little stage fright there. Smithy, over to you. Yeah, okay. Um, I think a little bit earlier than that, to be fair. Um, I I think I'm going to go 2006. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a Uh cricket field. Uh, one, wind the clock back a little bit more. You'll probably remember it now. 1998, the Kuala Lumpur, uh, uh, not Olympics, Commonwealth Games, where, of course, there was real talk about how players and athletes in New Zealand were even going to compete in that heat. I remember there was a lot of talk about ice fests for that Commonwealth Games. But uh, you're still alive 1998. There. 1998. 1998. I actually went to those Commonwealth Games as a commentator because men's cricket was in it for the very first time. Australia won the gold and Steve Waugh often remarks that that Commonwealth gold medal for him is as precious as anything he won in any other form of the game. So quite interesting there, but uh, it was uh, disappeared off the face of the earth off that. And uh, now, of course, uh, we're back into women's T20, uh, which is part of the Commonwealth game. So, OK, just diversed a little bit there, but uh, Reed's still there and he's still alive. Oh, I love little nuggets of info like that. Smithy, second question. How many times has New Zealand won the netball gold medal at the Commonwealth Games? Oh, uh, Commonwealth Games. I'll go. It's going to leave it pretty open for Smitty. He's probably going to get this, but I'll go two. That's a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot. Yeah. And away it goes. Yeah, the boy, 2006 and 2010. Yeah, it didn't exactly leave it open, did it, Reid, to be fair? Right, what's yeah, question well, number three? I wasn't on the mark, did it? <laughs> Question three. Uh, at least you're not. Uh, good to know you're not too dusty there, mate. Last question: which, uh, What city hosted the Commonwealth Games when New Zealand won its first gold medal in netball? Oh, um, probably would have been there too. 
Uh, I'll go... Was it in Australia? Uh, I, I, we don't have a phone a friend here. I'm sorry. Oh, I used to, I used to city, not... Um, um, Melbourne. Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot, and away it goes. Well done, Reed. That is correct. $50 TAB. Uh, bonus bet is going through to your account. Make sure you hold the line and Brian will get your details. Smithy, were you at the 2006 Con Games? No, no, I wasn't. I never went to those ones in Kyle Olympia because of, I only went to, to do the cricket. So, uh, no, I never was. I, I've, um, I've always wanted to be one. I mean, one of my great passions or one of the reasons I love sports so much was the 19. 19- uh, Commonwealth Games in Christchurch, I think in 1984, um, or was it even earlier than that? Um, and anyway, but uh, it was the one where <coughs> it was the one where Dick Taylor won the the 10,000 meters. Janie Parkhouse uh, was amazing in the swimming, uh, and and it just uh, we, we Dick Taylor actually uh, won the 10,000 meters. I think on day one, and it set the stadium QE2 Stadium alight down in Christchurch. It was just phenomenal. And I'm trying to think, it was 74, of course it was 74, 1974, so I was just 17 years of age. I loved my sport back then, but I really fell in love with the, the black singlet and running uh, back in those days as well because of that. And of course, that was um, with uh, John Walker and Philbert Bailly as well, when Philbert Bailly uh, ran away just from John Walker, who was uh, expected to win the uh, <coughs> the 1500 metres uh, goal, but couldn't do it. So that was uh, one of those classic races. A lot of memories coming out of those Commonwealth Games in 74, and hopefully... Uh, we'll have a lot of successful memories coming out of the Birmingham uh, ones, which are uh, less than a month away now, and all the teams are pretty much finalised. Uh, we're thinking about perhaps uh, getting hold of uh, someone within the, the group to just, uh, Nigel Avery perhaps at some point, yes. hopefully, um, just to see how things are coming together, yeah? Uh, Smithy, all the teams have been named or was finalised with the men's hockey team and the uh, the 3x3 basketball teams uh, last Thursday afternoon, I believe. Uh, so yeah, Nigel Avery is going to come back on the show tomorrow, 10am, to uh, give us the lowdown on, on the preparations to the Com Games. Fantastic. That's good. Uh, we get a few answers from Nigel. Uh, it is 11.39, coming up 11.40, when we come back we'll read out uh, quite a few of your texts on a number of issues uh, this morning, uh, including uh, the All Blacks of course, who we've ignored in the last uh, hour or so because we've been so, uh, I guess, uh, taken up with the league, the Warriors, Reese Walsh and co. We'll be back soon. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, for Nick Kyrgios, uh, the trouble continues uh, off the court. He causes his own problems on it, but he might uh, have bitten off something a little bit here as well because it appears that uh, he's going to be charged with uh, common assault when he gets back to Australia. He's going to play Chilean uh, Christian Garin for a place in the semi-finals tonight, but this should be on his mind. Uh, has been summoned to face the uh, ACT Magistrates Court on August the 2nd. Canberra Times newspaper report the assault allegedly involved a former girlfriend and quoted uh, Kyrgios' barrister Jason Moffat as saying the 27-year-old client was taking the allegation very seriously. Um, this is uh, on the back of his behaviour during the week of the championships after uh, he was fined $10,000 uh, US following his first round win over uh, Paul Jubb after a fractious third round victory too over Stefanos Tsitsipas. So he's, I mean, he just 
the trouble just follows him, doesn't it? It absolutely just follows him. And uh, he can look for uh, a little bit of uh, and a few headlines when he gets home. Uh, speaking of headlines or texts, anyway, uh, how about some of these? I think uh, the anti-coach stuff has developed from the Henry Hanson Foster era. In this era, they have lost a huge amount of fans. Uh, so arrogant, terrible with the media and the process to get the next coach terrible. Nobody has a chance of getting the all-black coaching role. A lot of fans uh, totally turned away, lost interest, never remember an era that has been so bad for fans. Now, it's an interesting point you make. Uh, from a media perspective, it's very, very hard. Um, they're very regimented in terms of being accessible. Um, there's a lot of players and that you'd want to speak to during the week. There's a number of uh, coaches, etc. you like to speak during the week. There are only so many windows. Um, and it's very, very hard for our producers and, and our fellow media uh, people as well actually to get inside the camp and, and get some access. Every now and then um, someone might call up a favour or an Izzy or uh, a Beaver might call up a favour of, of a former teammate and that's fine. Uh, they're allowed to do that sort of thing. But if it's official as such, you've got to go through uh, quite a lot of process to, to get to uh, the All Blacks themselves. And, and it's not uh, just to the All Blacks, I can promise you that. Uh, the cricketers are, are exactly the same when they're uh, on duty. Uh, pretty impregnable bunch to, to get through to, so... Um, and, and if that's the case, if it is the fact that they're not available to the media um, and to to be more open about what they're doing, um, and, and the fans suffer before because of that, and they turn off because of that, uh, legitimately so, uh, then that's a bit of a worry for uh, New Zealand rugby. And I, I would imagine uh, they're across those those kind of things. They've got so many people on their staff to look at that. Uh, Stephen said, morning, Smithy. I'm guessing that people are criticising the All Blacks are the same Cantabs that wanted the All Blacks to lose because Graham Henry got the job over Robbie Deans all those years back. Seriously, what true All Black supporter hopes they lose? Only a Cantab, says Steve. Uh, Laurie Maines, says Brett, copped a toweling but was carried off uh, on the shoulders of the players in his last Test match. Yep, uh, interesting. Uh, Smithy, a fit Akira at six and leave him there. Cheers. Yep, we know, Ken. Uh, you'd have Satutu in there as well, I'm sure. Um, perhaps uh, put Adi somewhere else so Satutu could come in. Ken, we know you. Don't you worry about that. Um, and uh, Keith has said, nobody is mentioning the fact that Luke Metcalf is coming next year. Well, we did, actually. Um, uh, we, we did uh, cover Metcalf coming along with uh, an, a lot of other young players coming into the mix as well. He's a very good player. Walsh has shown that he is a, a show pony penchant. Hmm, interesting. Uh, he went, oh, he's not going to get a lot of good stuff now, Reese Walsh, is he? Regardless of what he does for the Warriors in these last few games of the season. Uh, and uh, someone right at the start of the show came in and said, Brett, actually, what has happened, ever happened to Jesse Ryder? Well, Jesse Ryder actually uh, lives in uh, Napier, I think. He might live in Taradale, but certainly in, up in uh, one of those two areas. Uh, he plays a, a little bit of club cricket still, Jesse Ryder. Um, but he plays a lot of indoor cricket, and he's part of, uh, I think, the Central Stag set up in, the, in terms of indoor cricket, or maybe even the New Zealand side. He's very, very, very talented. I mean, there's one thing that's never lo- uh, left Jesse is his hand-eye coordination, and you need a power of that when it comes to reaction time in indoor cricket. So Jesse Ryder is actually still around and playing, and, uh, you know, I think uh, quite enjoying it to that extent as well. Uh, anonymous text has come in and said morning smithy nice each way job today at cambridge race two mr bigglesworth 14s and 360 course and distance winner mark that one down it's uh not a name that you forget really is it mr bigglesworth uh race two at cambridge 14s and threes 10 each way on that 
pay for a nice lunch, wouldn't it? Uh, Delano is uh, being, oh, Dino is back on. It's came out as Delano, and this is one of uh, Dino's on reply to Dino's call this morning. I totally agree with him leaving Barrett at six. They should leave him there and let him get accustomed to playing six week in, week out. He did a good job last week. He needs to build on that. Why can't they just get another lock in for Sam? Cheers, uh, BK from Kapiti. Reason why uh, BK is that they're running out of locks. Uh, Josh Lord is out. Putty Putty Parkinson is out. Sam Whitelock is out. Uh, Tupuvai is out. <coughs> they're scraping. I won't say they're scraping the bottom of the barrel because there's still plenty of uh, people that uh, are available to play throughout Super Rugby. But in terms of the cream of the crop uh, and uh, another text has come in and said, Luke Romano. What about Luke Romano on his form? Back in all-black jersey. Hard man against Ireland. Uh, and uh, Texas says Luke Romano would leave Patrick Topolotto for to have him for breakfast uh, on current form. And uh, there is a lot to that point. Uh, one of our uh, callers made earlier on about uh, when Brody Retallick came back, he wasn't the same Brody Retallick that left because of the nature of the rugby they're playing up there. It's just not at the same level. You're allowed to uh, taper off a wee bit. It takes a bit getting back into that. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if uh, Patrick Topolotto is 90%. If he gets the nod, if he's 90% of what Sam Whitelock was the other day, he'll be damn good. Uh, morning, and Last evening, Wellington held its Sports and Recreation Awards. The Supreme Award went to Philip Wilson, Olympic gold medalist in the rowing eights in Tokyo. A superb evening attended by over 300 people. John, really appreciate uh, you notifying of, uh, of that information. So congratulations to Philip Wilson. It is coming up to, well, in fact, it just ticked over 11.52 here on SENZ. Chance to speak to Staffy before midday. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.